Awesome. Thank you so much, worship team, uh, for the worship today. Um, It really is going to set the tone of where we're going today. Uh, This message is not easy. This is probably the toughest message out of the whole Ephesians passage. And so, welcome today. Thank you for joining us here today. For you online, please don't switch off the live stream. Stick with us, because I believe that God has some amazing truths for us in this moment. So without further ado, let's just dive into the text this morning and just see what we're about to enjoy together. Amen? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. It says this, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But... Sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, that's greed, must not even be named among you as a proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an adulterer, sorry, idolatra, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are in the light of the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Welcome to church. You can't go in there right now. I did warn you last week of what we'll be talking about today. But I do feel that this is an amazing conversation for us. I want to be a church that has a conversation about sex. Can we say sex this morning? Let's just get it out. Let's just put it into the room so those who feel red-faced, let them just come to the surface. All that discomfort that my pastor is about to talk about sex. Let it just come to the surface this morning. And for you online, again, don't go anywhere. This is going to be good. Um, But I would encourage you that this is a conversation. This passage would be best served in a one-on-one relationship of walking together these truths out. And I pray that you'd give me grace this morning as I share this passage, because I'm not, one, going to cover everything you probably want me to cover, nor am I going to be able to execute or communicate correctly everything that should be communicated. And so I hope that this is a spurring conversation that we will carry on to have as a church, that we're a family, amen? that we talk as a family. And I don't know about your story of origin where family, when sex came into the room, it was taboo, just don't talk about it, keep far away. But I want us to be a family that keeps this together, that we actually talk about this in a healthy and adult way together. So let's pray. Father, would you help me this morning? Lord, I I thank you for this truth. 
Lord, it is out of identity, out of a truth of who we are, that we are able to be image bearers of you. But Lord, there is this deep truth that we have avoided so much, that the world has felt so discomfort by this. But Lord, there is such deep mysteries and truths to be found in this text. Lord, I pray against any shame that fills hearts right now, any condemnation that comes upon people, Lord, I pray be removed in Jesus' name. And Lord, that you would begin to water our hearts this morning. Lord, that the soil of our heart would be good to receive this seed of truth this morning. Lord, I pray that you would do an amazing transformative work. We believe at Point View, Lord, that you transform lives. And so we gather together because we believe in that transformative work that happens in community. And so Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here in this space. Open our ears, hearts, and minds to what you have to say today. God, would you help me preach this message in Jesus' name? And everyone said, amen and amen. Love how this passage opens, therefore be imitators of God. Imitation is how we learn. When we try and teach our children the mama, dada, we imitate the words of our parents to help us learn. And that develops over and over and we begin to develop actions. And don't we love it when our children imitate us well? Like we love it when they compliment one another, when they encourage one another, when they do acts of service. But there's also bad imitations, right? Like we suddenly learn what we're truly saying when it comes into the room. And funny story, a couple of months back, um, Eliana was learning to uh, do toilet training stuff with her. And uh, she was in pull-ups. She was a bit stubborn in wanting to do it. She preferred to change her own diaper. She got to that. She would take it off, wipe herself, and put the diaper back on again. She had it down. And she came into the room one time and came in saying this. And hear me clearly, please, when I say this. She came into the room and said, where the frick is the wipes? That's frick, not the other words. And it's so casual that she came into the room and you suddenly realize that you're like, okay, no, 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 don't do as we do. You know, one of those many moments that I'm going to have to correct my kids. Don't do as I do or do as I say, do as this. And so we come across those imitations. We've all experienced the imitations of when we were younger, wanting to see our idols or the people that we adored, maybe the people on our, the wall that we put up, the posters. We wanted to dress like them. We wanted to talk like them. We loved our older brothers or siblings or friends at school. We aspired to be like the cool kids or whatever crowd that we desired to be like. We wanted to be and imitate them. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Imitation is the greatest form of flattery. And Paul, just to catch you up, if you've been away, we're in this season of Ephesians um, where we are looking at, and we've been so far in week 11. Can you believe it? 11 weeks in Ephesians. Yeah, woo. well done. Thank you for sticking it out. But we spent the first three chapters looking at the identity of God. Look at what the identity of who we are in Christ, that we are redeemed, blessed, and all this identity of this new unified humanity, that we are no longer separated Jew or Gentile, but this new family brings in all different walks of life that were offensive. It was the Jew, the Gentile, it was the slave, it was the non-slave, it was the rich, it was the poor, all coming together under one roof. And we don't understand how scandalous that was. 
It was offensive to many who saw this, and they killed the Christians because of this love that was being shown. And so we, as Paul says, are holy temples. You are a holy temple. Whether you feel like it or not, or whether you come into church and you're like, I hope this roof doesn't fall in on my head. Know that Jesus has an even greater expectation of you, that you are holy, that you are a temple of God, i.e. you are where heaven and earth collide. Where the Spirit of God inside of you, because of Jesus Christ, dwells His Holy Spirit, and you are of earth, you are of soil. And so you are an embodiment of both these wonderful worlds to see a new humanity come about. And I love that He comes about in that, this line, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. I love that Paul brings that because he's framing already before his conversation. Remember, he starts with identity. Before he's about to speak about the correction, he states that you are children. Now, that's an important identity to not skip over. Children by means, and we've talked about this before, have identity given to them. They never earned it. I can never be less a taplin. That's my family name. I can't run from it. It is who I am. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. All the things that come with that are just given to me. And so Paul is saying, remember, as dearly loved children, the fruit, the fruit of who you are, this is how I want you to act. We remember that we don't earn right standing. Our right standing changes us. You can never be more loved by God than you already are. God knows every deep, dark secret about you, yet loves you the most out of anyone. It's not our behavior that gives us the rights. It's our right identity that forms our identity. So he goes on in this passage. He says, beloved children, I want you to walk in love. Last week, we talked about taking off the old and putting on the new, if you were here last week. If not, go back and check that message. And he's talked about a similar thing, a walk. We make 10,000 decisions to walk away from Christ or to walk away from God. We make those small decisions in our mind. It starts in our mind, and it forms an understanding, and the understanding brings callous hardened hearts to the way of God. And you wonder one day when you wake up, how did I get here? How did I fall so far away from God? Why do I feel so distant away from Him? And the reason is that you've made these small, constant decisions, and you've walked, you've walked, and you've walked in a direction away or towards God. And so he's saying again, I want you to walk in love. And this love is agape. It's not just the love for Sarah's ice cream or whatever floats your boat. Whatever you love more that I can love a tasty, juicy steak or a hamburger or the grill that I'm about to be grilling this afternoon. Sorry to put food in your mind while you're sitting here with me. But as we think about the things that we love, this is an agape love that serves. And he qualifies this love in the text. He says, Christ loved us and he gave himself up for us. This agape love, the Greek language never had a word for love like this you imagine that? Christianity formed a love in a culture. It's amazing to think of that. They did not have a word, and so a word was created, agape, that dies to yourself, that is selfless love. And remember last week we talked about the song, loving you is a losing game. 
Loving who you are is a losing game. You will never find the fulfillment. Again, I'm all about self-care. I'm all about looking after yourself. But if the result is loving yourself to the end, you will find it a losing game. Paul knows this, and he he says that this is the kind of love that is self-sacrificial, that Jesus showed us upon a cross, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Can I get an amen? You did not deserve it. You certainly didn't earn it. But God said, I love you so much. I want a relationship with you. I'm going to come to serve you, the God of the universe. Don't ever lose that thought that the God that breathed the universe into existence, that spoke our very existence in, came down to earth, suffered the most horrendous death that could possibly happen. This God Almighty came in flesh and form, served and loved his disciples and said, mimic me follow me. May it be a sweet sacrifice of praise. Then he goes on, the but. We don't always like the but, do we? We don't like our buts. We don't like the buts. Sometimes the but's good. Sometimes but God. But this is not a but that we certainly enjoy. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetedness must not be named among you as proper among saints. But let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, there's an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ God. Paul, why would you go after something so quickly? Why would you, after framing up this love, This love that we're to pursue. This is the first thing that he talks about. Isn't that interesting? That we are to walk in this agape love. This is the framework. And now it's contrasted by self-love. Poinia, which means sexual immorality, which is all sexual things that are outside of marriage, between a man and a woman. Everything outside of that is what he's talking about. He's talking about all the types of self-love, the lust. The masturbation, the sexual intercourse, the sleeping before marriage together, all of these practices are all ultimately self-love. And this passage can hit you. Anyone listening online, this can hit you. And it should hit us. Gospels and the writings should not always agree with everything that I want, nor it should agree with the world. It should say, stop me in my tracks and see why is this not what I believe, or why does this hurt me so much? And it should hit us in such a way that we should stop and evaluate our lives. Why is Paul going after sexual immorality first? There are lots of other things that I would love to go after, right? Do a little low bar, Paul. Don't go after the hard thing. Do some little things about just loving your neighbor, being kind. Like, can we start low? No, he goes straight for the soccer punch. There's something in that. Why would Paul do that? Why is God's view of sex so important for our walk in him? Like the church hasn't talked about it much. Like God really cares about it. Paul really cares about it. Like ask yourself that question, why? Why is this there? See, with every good imitation, he starts with, there is a bad imitation. How many of you on a college day, or maybe back in the day when you were looking for some food, have come across these wonderful cup noodles? Any cup noodle fans in the place here? 
College, come on, don't be shy, it's okay. We're friends, we're family here. When you can't be bothered to go cook yourself some food, I remember down at college, so mine was slightly different. I'd buy a big uh, four-pound lasagna pre-made. I would put it in the oven, and I would cut, cook it every time and just cook it. Super lazy, just eating out all the time. I put on a bunch of weight, if that's even possible, in Australia, trying to bulk up. But I had this culture back in England. Every college student, it's uh, beans on toast for us. But here is the pop noodle, we would say. And you would pick this food out, you put it in the microwave, hit it up, and try and just eat on the go, because life's so busy, you just want to get out, you want to study, you just want to get stuff going. And it's funny because it's highly processed food. It's easy to find, it's good, it's really cheap, and it just keeps you kind of somewhat going. But it lacks nutrition. Truly does. If you just lived on that alone, I mean, we've seen like the McDonald's culture, we've seen those Netflix videos, all those things that it will kill you. This, I'm pretty sure, will kill you if you keep just living on this. And so we find that it looks good, it tastes like the real thing, but there is no sustainment in it whatsoever. It's not real. It tastes real. Kind of, when you chew it, if you cook it, microwave it right, it kind of tastes real, does it? I mean, it's still a little chewy. It's a little nasty sometimes. Like, oh, I don't really like this so much. However, like, those things are bad imitations of real food. Quick and easy, but they are still bad imitations of a real thing. And they leave us actually feeling more empty. Paul talks this very same culture of the day. This is Artemis. This is the god of the day in Ephesus. The temple that is formed is one of the seven wonders of the world. It's a massive, huge temple. And Artemis is the god of fertility. Those are eggs hanging from her. She is the god of fertility. Can you imagine what happens in that temple? If that's what the imitation of a God, remember, we all want to be like God. From the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, we have always wanted to be like God. That's why we ate the fruit in the first place, because we wanted to know what God knew about good and evil. And so man is always trying to be like God, but this is a bad imitation of that very thing. Artemis had a temple of a thousand prostitutes. A thousand prostitutes that men, women from all the areas of the, who would come and worship and have sex together. And this is in the culture of this. Paul, even in Corinth, these people who were Christians were still going to this temple to worship and have sex. And Paul had to say, stop. Now, as a pastor, I've not had to tell anyone to do that in this congregation. I don't have to say, guys, stop having sex with prostitutes. You know, like stop doing it. Like this is where the church was at. And we often say, I want to go back to the church in Acts. There's still some learning that's happening right now. Paul is pulling out the culture of the day, the imitation of this God. And so, he had, you know, when he says, be imitators of God, big capital G, don't be imitators of this fake that looks real, feels good, but it is not life-sustaining. It is destructive inside of you. And can I tell you that Artemis is still very much alive. She lives, maybe not in this statue form, but she is formed in the porn industry, in the strip clubs, in the hookup culture. She demands you make sacrifices to her, your relationships, your freedom. 
A lot of people say, I'm just free to have sex with whoever. And I would argue you are more a slave because you cannot control the thirst that you have. That you can't say no to something. That actually you are more enslaved because you have no free will to say no to it. She demands sacrifices where we see relationships broken. A main cause of divorce in this country that we see people divided because of this porn industry. This porn industry that rakes in $3,000 every single second. $12 billion is being sent to this. That it is one of the, um, one of the main things that happens. We'll talk just a bit more about that later on. But the world's imitation of sex, we would say, is self-fulfillment. Self-fulfillment is it. And this definition I've came across, sex is just recreational play with two consenting adults. It's just physical. It's mutually pleasurable. It's just exchange of fluids. It's fun. We believe we have the right for sex. And anything that limits or represses our desires is harmful. It's hateful. You are bigots if you to dare let us destroy or take away our ability to have sex with whoever. It's all about getting your fill. It's your self-satisfaction. That's the message. And we see this actually played out in the Tinder hookup world. Um, I don't know if you know Tinder. Some of the older people might not know. There is an app called Tinder. And you can get with anyone you want, anytime you want. You look, you make a profile, and you swipe right to all the people that you don't want to hook up with. And you just look for whoever's in the area, whoever looks good. You message them and say, hey, do you want to hook up in 20 minutes? Let's go get some, and then go about your day. That This is the culture that we live in. And there's some things as well. There's a, a quote from this. It typically starts out as this is what Reese says. It starts out with, send me new. Or them say something like, are you looking for something quick within the next 10 to 20 minutes? Are you available? Okay, you're a mile away. Tell me your location. It's straight efficiency. That the world has governed this down to efficiency. Get my self-fulfillment. Get my satisfaction. There's this thing as well about Tinderella. So the play on Cinderella. You can be Tinderella. It's someone who gets a girl in bed before midnight. You're a Tinderella. You're also a, a Tex king, a Tinder king. You get a girl in bed just from your Tex game or just emojis. And so the freedom of sex is just more acceptable. You can just get with whoever you want, whenever you want. But we see, as we talked about before, depression, anxiety, loneliness skyrocketing in this world. Porn is more acceptable than ever. But porn isn't just the problem that we're facing as a culture. Do you know that sex actually is happening less in this younger generation? And you'd be like, that's awesome news. Jesus must be moving. And that's not the case. Because rather, this, this new generation that is so stuck in social media, on their phones, they don't interact with one another. They can have full access to porn whenever they want. And so through that, they don't need relationships anymore. I can just satisfy myself way quicker. I don't have to invest in anything. 
I don't have to be involved in anyone else's relationship. I can just sort myself. In fact, we're going even darker than this. Um, in Japan, New York, Australia, in UK, there's these things like AI relationships. I, you can buy a person online, have the doll sent to your house, you name it, and how much you spend on it kind of elevates who you are. But this doll does whatever you want, whenever you want. It's even worse. And this is just the root of what we're talking about. We're talking about when we just go down this path of self-fulfillment, self-satisfaction. It's just about me and not about anyone else. This is where the world lends. The way of self-gratification is not love. It's not love. And so we read on the text that God is this, this way that because of these things, as it says in verse 6, because of these things, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. God is love. He isn't wrath. God isn't wrath, but the byproduct of love is anger. The byproduct of love is anger. And when God has his anger, because he has a design for you, has a desire for you, he made you, he has the best practices for you. When we move out of that, because of a loving parent, how many parents, when you get angry at your kids because they're doing something stupid? That's love. Hands raised right here. <laughs> Sorry, boys. <laughs> Hands raised. We all know. We're just like, that's so stupid. What are you doing? Don't put your finger in the socket or whatever else. Like, don't do it because it's going to hurt you. Anger is love, but it is not who God is. God is love. And when we understand wrath and anger in that way, we have a better understanding. It is perfect love. And anger is the byproduct of it. And so that difficult scripture that we read in verse 6, we read about a loving God all the way that's done all these amazing things for us. And then we come across verse 6 that says, Let no one deceive you of empty words. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the son of disobedience. And we're just like, that doesn't feel like a loving God. Because the world has shown an unhealthy version of wrath, of anger. It doesn't show the trueness of who God really is. And so just to quickly hop aside from this passage to get a better understanding of what the wrath of God is, Paul talks about this in Romans. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth, the sky, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give thanks to him. And they began to think up foolish of ideas of what God is like. And as a result, their minds became dark, confused, claiming to be wise, and instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious ever-living God, they worshipped idols and made to look like mere people, birds and animals and reptiles. So that God abandoned them to do whatever shameful thing their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshipped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. 
That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman against the natural way to have sex, instead indulged sex with each other. The men, instead of having normal relationships with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. As a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Doesn't this feel like our world? Doesn't this feel like something we're experiencing right now? Oh, wait, this is 2,000 years old. How did this happen? Paul's speaking to a cultural phenomenon that we are not too unaware of, nor is he, that when we leave ourselves away from God, when we serve and try and self-serve, we will move further away from God's design and plan. But this passive wrath, I would call it, it's not an active wrath, it's a passive wrath giving over. He doesn't throw punches. He's not aggressive in his anger. You can almost feel the sadness in the tone of the writer as a father who loved, who died, who desires to be in relationship with his children, sees them and just says, I can't do anything more for you. I've got to give you away to your desires. It sounds like a father who is weeping on the inside and hates to see the destruction before his eyes. But he says, it is best that you, and I hope and pray, that as you go, that you will find the bottom and that you will find that this life does not fulfill you, that multiple sex partners, sex with one another in this outsider framework of marriage is not the way, the truth, and the life. And the emptiness that you feel will never be fulfilled in the way of your own self-fulfillment. The church, however, has portrayed, and so that is the imitation of the world's view of sex, but the church hasn't done much to help that viewpoint. The church has typically said its imitation of sex is don't. Don't do it. Just don't even think about it. I don't know if any of you have been in youth groups, had those awkward conversations with leaders about sex, and it just felt so all just horrible. You're just like shamefully as a teenager just looking down. It's just like, don't do it. It's sinful. It's bad. Don't sleep around. Uh, don't sleep before you get married. Don't make out too much. Don't masturbate. Don't view porn. Just don't. And it's interesting that this theme started way back in the day. There was a, uh, a Greek philosopher called Plato. And Plato said this, that the spirit is good, but the flesh is bad. Therefore, anything that is fleshly is bad. And so we have pushed away sexuality because it's a physical action, because of the shame that happens. I would argue that murder and sexual sin is the most destructive of the sins. Yes, we have all fallen short, but sins aren't equal. There are sins that are more destructive to a world. We see it in divorce when people commit adultery, how it wrecks a family. Murder wrecks a family. And so sexuality, we see it as fleshly, and we're like, well, how can that be an amazing gift when it causes so much pain? How can it be that way? And so we bought into Plato's mindset that anything fleshly is bad, and the church said just don't. Just don't do it. In other words, moral standards plus willpower equals holiness. Don't think about it. Don't do too much of it. Just escape and avoid it. 
I love this quote from Philip Yancey. He says this, I know of no greater failure amongst Christians than in presenting a persuasive point of view on sexuality. Outside of the church, people think of God as the great spoil sport of human sexuality, not as its inventor. In a sex-saturated society, even true believers find it hard to accept. Traditional Christian morality offers to the full, most satisfying life. The Pope utters the pronouncements. Denominations issue position papers, and many Christians ignore them and follow the lead of the rest of society. Surveyors reveal little difference between the church and non-attenders in the rates of the premarital intercourse and cohabitation. Surveyors also show that millions of people have left the church in disgust over the hypocrisy about sex, especially when priests and ministers fail to practice what they preach. Moral standards plus willpower has equaled failure. We live in this culture of where the church has not modeled the life or the viewpoint of what sex is all about. And so today, with our remainder time, we need a better why to imitate today. And so let's just quickly go back to Genesis. Let's just go back to Genesis 1. Because in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and the darkness was all over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. God began to create the universe through the light, the separation of water and land. He brought about skies and starlights in the sky. He brought about animals, creation, vegetation. And in his greatest moment of creation, he created humanity. And he said, it is good. It's tov. Tov meaning that Hebrew word beautiful. That's how it's meant to work, creation together. He said, tov, tov, tov. This humanity is very tov. In that expression, God pronounces the first blessing upon mankind. And whenever you see a first in Jewish tradition, that is the standard. That's how you read Jewish texts. Whenever the first time something is mentioned, it is the thing. And so he blessed humans and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. God sees sex as tov. Can you get that in your mind today, that God views sex, that God made sex? Creation, man, women, sex, the beauty, the attraction, the touch, the kissing, the intercourse, the foreplay, the orgasm. God created Have I made some people blush today? God created the orgasm. He created this amazing enjoyment and called it tov. He said, this is good. I want you to be a blessing to the world. I want you to recreate. I want you to multiply. I want you to have sex. I want you to understand that this is the way that I have created you to be. And so I would say my first point for us to say a lot about sex, but this tells more about who God is. And these are my three points today that I want to talk about. The first being, God is a God of enjoyment. It's fun, it feels good, it produces fruit. That's enjoyment right there. First Timothy 6, 7 says this, God richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. God richly provides with everything for our enjoyment. 
Scripture starts with a positive about sex. It's a blessing. Be fruitful. It's not negative. Sex came before sin. We were sexual before we were sinful. Sex is not a bad thing, but it's a gift. And some of you who have grown up in the church need to hear that today. Because I've heard of countless Christians who have viewed sex, and maybe they had sex before marriage, and they've come into their marriage viewing sex as sinful, something not of God's design, all sorts of shame coming upon them when God says, it is a gift. It is a good thing. It is tov. It is something that I have given to you to represent who I am. I am a God of enjoyment. We carry on in that as we go into Genesis chapter 2, as he gives the mandates for humanity that Adam is to work the land, to be a gardener, that he needs a helper, a co-laborer. And the word helper is not any less. It is an equal. That's why the imagery of a rib was taken out of Adam. Someone who is equal to Adam, who is different in role, who is the other half to him, to come together that they may be one. And he says this over them, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That word one means a card. Can you say a card? A card, a bit of Hebrew there for you today. It means to be fused together. God even uses this very word, a card, about himself in the Shema, this promise to the Israelites who says, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord your God is a card, is one. And God is saying in this that a card flesh, in other words, I want you to be on the deepest level connected. I want you to experience each other. I want you to be so entwined that you don't know where one ends and one begins. Does that sound like God language? The Trinity, the three in one, that we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't, it's so hard to describe to my kids the three in one. I try all the different analogies. I was like, they are three separate beings, yet they are fully God, fully one. They are all God. And this is the sexuality that we see, that we are one. When sex happens, we become a card. We become one, and we know each other. We become intimate. We develop just this beautiful picture of oneness. I love this quote from John Mark Comer, who very much inspired a lot of the teaching that I've given today. So if I don't do a good job, please go read John Mark Comer's Loveology. Loveology is an amazing book about all of this. But he has this quote, something powerful happens in sex. Two humans become Ikad and they know each other. And in this action, it cannot be undone. It's irreversible. And to God, the only relationship strong enough to hold that kind of untamed fierce power is marriage. That's the only container that can handle the nuclear force we call sex. Have you ever thought about sex as a nuclear force? I don't know. It's it's quite powerful imagery. But if God is a God of enjoyment, that there is so much fruit, there is so much joy in it, it is powerful. And this connection is so deep that whatever happens, it's irreversible. That's, that's a crazy thought to think about. When you have sex with someone, the akkad, the connection is so powerful, it is irreversible. In, 
without Jesus. It's so powerful. And the only container that can hold that kind of power is marriage. Inside of marriage, it's beautiful. It keeps us connected. It covers a multitude of sins. Because when we love, and love covers a multitude of sins. Because when we refuse, when we keep in sync, orbiting around one another, when a marriage doesn't have sex in it, we see the division, we see the separation of relationship. And so I want to encourage you today, married couples, have sex. You can quote me, amen. i got some amens here. Can we have some amens now? Some advocating for you men here today. He emphasizes again in 1 Corinthians. He says, have sex. Because the devil will come and bring all sorts of temptations. Now, disclaimer for the guys as well. You can't just get in bed with a girl and expect them to have sex. You've got all sorts of work to do. Women are very different. We're, they're from Venus. We're from Mars. It's all very, very different. But as we serve one another, and that's the beauty about the connection, because to get to that connection, we've got to have agape love. We've got to die to ourselves and serve the woman. And likewise, the woman, we're going to be talking about next week in marriage. We're going to have a panel of us talk about marriage. Maybe we can talk about sex in marriage. I don't know. We'll see what happens. See how we're doing with this conversation today. See if you come back next week. Um, But we see this played out. That sex realigns us. We may be orbiting somewhere else, and suddenly when we have sex, it brings us together. Biologically, for men, when we have sex, it releases hormones that says, this is mine. On a biological level, you reconnect again. On a spiritual level, you reconnect again. And it's out of that beautiful place that we want to encourage. I want to encourage intimacy in your lives. I want to encourage connectedness with your spouse. And that happens through this beautiful idea that God invented sex. So it's enjoyment. It shows connectedness that has to happen in marriage. It has to happen, guys. Like for young guys here in this room, save yourself. Save yourself for marriage. I've heard so many different stories of friends who have walked out and have had sex with lots of different people. And though Jesus has saved, has done amazing work, there are still these visions that come back and haunt. And so if I can encourage you today, live a life that way. Like for me in my life, that's my story. Like I I only got to know Rachel. Rachel has been my only one. And that's my story. And I don't expect everyone to have that story. That's okay. But if I can advocate for you that I do not have those traumas, I don't have those things in my heart, the card that cannot be irreversible. If I can encourage you today that it is possible. Can I, if I can encourage you today that God wants that for your life, that you are worthy of it. And so is your spouse. And regardless, if you meet a spouse who has not had the same lifestyle, God's grace is amazing. It transforms. I've had ridiculously amazing stories of people who have been renewed. Like they literally don't even remember their past anymore. That God has so redeemed them and made them whole. That God is so good that he's brought about that connection. And so we carry on here. So he carries on in verse 4. After the sin came about, now Adam knew Eve. New is a euphemism that Jewish people use for sex. Don't you love that? That sex is the same word as to know. That when we know our other half, that sex produces a knowing which is like no other. 
And we know this. To be intimate, to be naked, to be vulnerable before that person. Like to know how you're not so good in bed. Right? When we're first married, we're on this journey of trying to get better in bed. And it's all sorts of cumbersome, like trying to work out what does that work, does that go, how does this all go together. Like you get to be vulnerable before that person, make all sorts of mistakes. No, it doesn't go there, honey. You know, all that kind of fun stuff. This is fun. We get to experience that because of the intimacy that no one else knows me like Rach does. No one will ever know me like Rach does. And I love that I have that kind of space that it happens in this place. That there is a knowing that God wants for us. God is a God of enjoyment. God is a God that he is saying, I want to be so connected with you. I don't want anyone else having you. That's the kind of connectedness that he created. I want you and you alone. That's why he went to the cross to die for you, because he was so passionate about the connectedness that he wanted for you. These are good things. And as we talk about intimacy, in Matthew, in Jesus' greatest message, the Sermon on the Mount, he finishes with these haunting words that people will come to him in the last days and said, you know, God, I did these amazing works for you cast out demons, healed the sick. We did so many things in your name. And Jesus says to them, behold, go away from you. I did not know you. God's heart always is to have this intimacy that is fully naked. And I love that in Genesis it said that. They were naked and not ashamed. How good would it be to be in the bedroom and be naked and unashamed? I don't know how you are in the bedroom, lights on or lights off. It's up to you, I don't know. But how can we be in that room and be like, I am naked and unashamed before you? That's the kind of intimacy that God is looking for in our walks. He says, I've got a design for you in marriage, and it's a wonderful shadow of Christianity. In covenant relationship, in Christianity with Jesus, I want to enjoy you. I want to be connected with you. I want so desperately to be intimate with you. When we think about the Holy Spirit that resides inside each and every one of us, like that's how intimate He wants to be. He wants to have the Holy Spirit inside of us. He's not this far-off lofty God. He wants to be inside, dwelling inside of us. And that's the beautiful picture And this happens only through self-sacrificial love as we submit to one another. And so let's just land this today, reading the rest of the passage here. Ephesians 5.8. At the one time you were darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good, right, and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in unfruitful works darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But whenever anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This is the beautiful message that we have today. That we want to imitate true love. We don't want the imitation of the world. That's why sexual immorality is going after. It's so present in Paul's world. It's present in our world. That the, the journey of just sex to the world is your satisfaction. 
It's get my feel, get my desires. And when we head on that path of just fulfilling our desires over and over again, we lead ourselves to destruction. We see sexual diseases up from two in the 1950s up to 27 plus. We are the byproduct of the sexual revolution of broken families, divorce over 50% in both the world and the church. Because people are saying true love or the imitation of love is get your satisfaction. And God says it is agape, it is true love, it is to sacrifice and love one other person. He's talking about himself and he's talking about marriage. Marriage is that beautiful image of what God wants to see in this world. He's not a God who's like, well, God's no fun, right? Sex feels good. It does feel good. But I can tell you what, the world doesn't want to say it, but you see it in glimpses of movies amongst your friends. They just wish they could be in relationship. And they keep the other person happy by having sex with them. If a card is that powerful, we've seen it in our friends, right? When they get with someone that's not right, but they're having sex with them, and they can't let them go. We want them so desperately. Just let them go. They're abusive. They're not helpful in your life. They keep going back to them. Why? Because a card. God designed us that way because he wants to be so connected with us. And so today, for you, I want to tell you today that God has shone a light. He has said, awake, O sleeper. Don't live this way anymore. I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God who forgives all sins. I can make you new today. And today, I feel like as a nation, as a people group, even in community, we can suffer with a lack of intimacy for God because of these things. Do you know, stats show that there is uh, Christians in the Christian church 60% of men own up to watching porn once a month. Now, the world is so saturated with it, it's just kind of what it is now, right? It's just become what it is, and we kind of just justify it. It's not hurting anybody, you know, I'm just looking after myself. But you are rewiring your brain for self-satisfaction. You are rewiring not the agape love that God calls you to. And so I'm just pleading, I'm saying, here to help you. Like we're here to be with you and for you. That the greatest intimacy, and again, I'm an advocate for marriage. Guys, I want you in your marriage to have the healthiest sex. I want you to be people that serve one another. It's not what I can get, it's what can I give. How can I serve one another in it? How can I be an embodiment to it? But I also want to speak to the people who have experienced shame in this area. This is all sorts of shame that has been covered, that it's not good, I've done things wrong, and I can't enjoy this gift anymore. And God says, I want to renew this this morning. And so today, I want to just pray for you here in this space. So just with every head bowed, every eye closed, just in this space today, Lord, I just pray that you would come and touch hearts today. God, I pray that you would come and bring about restoration in people's hearts. Lord, there is so much brokenness. There is so much uh, abuse that has happened in this area over and over again. That there is high rates of abuse amongst women. That people have been raped, taken advantage of. And this gift that was once so beautiful is tarnished. 
And God says, I have an idea of straight new love for you. I want to see you made whole again. I want to accord with you. And God in this space wants to accord and renew that connection that was broken today. He wants to bring about freshness and newness for you today, where you have severed that and you've walked far from him. He's saying today, there is an opportunity for you to turn your life around. To say that I lived once this way, but now I've got something new for you. I want to renew the accord in your life. I want to renew that this morning. This is a hard thing for us. There is so much shame. There is so much destruction in it that we feel it's so hard to break free from. The addictions that started off as just something simple, maybe when we were teenagers, maybe even younger, we discovered something and it just took hold of us. And ever since then, we've never been able to look Jesus in the eye because of the shame. And God says, I designed this so that we can have a deeper connection together. I came, I died upon the cross for your sins so that we could rejuvenate that. So I pray for past sins this morning. God, I pray for those past sins that we have committed or have been committed to us. Those ungodly beliefs today. Those things that we try to fill with our lives. God, we give them to you today. Lord, in our hearts this morning, we say, God, we want to give all that shame, all what the world has told us today. We just want to give it and be released today. God, forgive us today. Would you forgive us of our sins today? May we be free today. Lord, we open up the door this morning to your healing touch. Lord, we relinquish the spirits that have been over our lives, that have been controlling and manipulating. And we say, come against that in Jesus' name. We break those spirits that are over us, trying to control and manipulate us in Jesus' name. And God, we say, let your love, your Holy Spirit, take control of those areas right now. I just pray for mindsets right now that have been so hardwired for self-satisfaction. Forget my own feel or fix. God, I pray that you would break them in Jesus' name. God, I pray for those who have seen sex as shameful because of their past. Lord, I pray for joy to fill their hearts today, to see it rightly, that it is a godly design because it imitates you, that we imitate God in sex, the three in one, being one, being a card, self-dying to ourselves in loving, in working in our marriage. Lord, I pray for marriages today that we wouldn't be blasé about our marriages that we would work at them, that we would work at our marriages, that we would be people that desire the other person like you desire us. I pray for marriages where our eyes are singularly focused. I pray for single people this morning. Would we get a revelation of this deep, amazing, intimate God that desires all of us? whether young or old this morning, I pray, Lord, that our focus, our eyes would be on you today. Renew that intimacy here today. Lord, we confess we break the old today. And as Paul said, we walk into the new today. 
Lord, the past is gone. The line has been done. And maybe in your heart today, you just need to envision yourself. There is a line before you today. The past is there. And God says, I want you to step over the line today because the past is done with. Do not let the enemy have any more of a foothold and live into the new identity today in Jesus. The past is no more. You are free. You are free. Just shake off your shoulders right now. Just shake them off. You are free. Because you are a child of God. Because of His work upon the cross. Because you are a loved child. Now walk in the newness of life. In the self-sacrificial love. We thank you.